0: I'm going to speak today from uh, starting John 15 in just a moment but I just got a question for you to for you to ask and answer the with the person next to you without cheating without cheating so no looking at your bibles uh, what what are what were sorry what were the first words of God to man right in the beginning according to Genesis what were the first words from God to man Okay we got it we got it yet? Genesis 1 verse 27, the first words that God speaks to man is, go and multiply. Absolutely nothing to do with apples or trees or, or whether it was good or not or anything like that. The first words from God to man were go and multiply. Go and enjoy yourself and make sure there are more people this time next year than there are currently this year. Uh, what were the, quick question again, you've got less time for this, because you should get this a little bit quicker. What were the last words of Jesus to man before he ascended into heaven? Not like the last words of Jesus in the Bible, but the, the last words recorded in the Bible of Jesus to man, to his disciples, before he ascended into heaven. You've got 30 seconds, quick. What were they? Go. We got it yet? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commended you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you said Acts 1 verse 8, go and be my witnesses, I'll give you that as well. But that kind of, that sort of idea. So here's what we have. The very first words of God to to man is go and multiply, go and get more of you so that this time next year there'll be more of you than there are currently and the last words of Jesus, I'll be with you to the end of the age I've got all authority, I give it to you, go and make disciples of all nations go and be my witnesses, that's the the big overarching arc of the story that God from the beginning and then what Jesus says to us and the words to us are go and get more of you, go and multiply, right if you've got your Bibles, John 15, we're just going to look at one verse in verse 16 is where we're going to start here. This is Jesus speaking. It's in the context of his speaking to the disciples in abiding in the vine. And he says this in verse 16 of John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We'll stop there. You did not choose me, Jesus says. I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit. This idea that Jesus chose us. You did not choose him, he chose you. It's wonderfully comforting news. It's wonderfully comforting truth. Because just think through the implications for that for a moment. We're in this big overarching story. Go and make disciples, go multiply, go and be more of you. Go into all nations of the world. I'm always going to be with you. And you kind of think about that for a moment. The implications of Jesus saying to you, God saying to you, I chose you. You didn't choose me in this big journey, is hugely comforting. Because if you had chosen him, when the going gets tough, because it will, we've all been through something in our, in, in our lives at some point where there's been a bit of pain or hardship or trial or difficulty, if you chose him, he could quite easily turn around and see you and say, what are you whinging for? I never asked you to come along. You chose to follow me. I never said it was going to be easy. Like, get over it. Strap yourself in. Stop whinging. You're following me, not the other way around. But he chose you. Just think that through for a moment. So when the going gets tough, there is this moment of, well, hang on, it wasn't actually my choice in one sense. He chose me. He rescued me. He redeemed me. He's brought me on this journey. And now there's a responsibility on him because his glory, his name, his fame demands it that he will see us through. He didn't make a decision and then go, well, that was a mistake. He chose you, and he appointed you. And here's what's really what, like, really important to get hold of when we understand this idea of being chosen, this idea of election, of God choosing you, is that when we look at this idea of election throughout Scripture, we see that election is not about a privilege, it's always about a purpose, it's not I've chosen you so that you can just have a nice little cuddle every week and everything's really nice and, and cozy and wonderful. And, oh, thank you, God, you chose me. It's wonderful. As we see throughout Scripture again and again and again, the choosing, when God says you'll be my people, I'm choosing you, I'm appointed you, is always for a purpose. There's always this promise. I've chosen you, but it's a promise or a blessing that's connected to a purpose. And here we're told the purpose is to bear fruits. If you think about it through scripture when when God chose Abraham before he was Abraham Abraham he says he says as soon as God calls him to leave his home to change his name to receive the blessing of God to become a a great nation this blessing from God I've chosen you it was accompanied by a divine purpose to be a blessing to the people of the earth. I see that all the way into the Matthew twenty-eight bit we just looked at a moment ago. The promise of Jesus, this this promise, I've chosen you, I've appointed you, I'm with you to the ends of the age. There is a command, a purpose. So go and make disciples. So here's this big story that we have that we've that's going on here. Go and make more p- disciples. Go and make sure that this time next year there are more of you are than there are this year. You have been chosen to play your part. In all of that, and we've been chosen not just to sit and and feel really good and special. we are chosen, what a privilege. We've been chosen for a purpose. And the purpose here is to bear fruit. What's the fruit that we've been chosen for? To bear fruit in the sense of growing in our love for God, our love for other people, growing in the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those things. That's what you've been uh, chosen to, to grow and to produce, to bear much of, so that as it is produced in your life, it might therefore be replicated and multiplied into the lives of many other people. That's That's what this we're chosen for. That's what we're called for. That's what we're involved in. That's why we're here. That's why we launched this venue, because we want to play our part in this great big story of ensuring that this time next year, there are more of us worshiping Jesus, declaring him to be king, declaring that he is eternally worthy of praise than there are this, at this moment. Now, here's where there's a bit of a danger, because we can hear this thing of, right, we've got to produce fruit, I've been chosen, I've got to produce a whole load of fruit. And that causes us to start to run around in a little bit of a panic, thinking, I've got to get loads of, I've got to do something, I've got to get this sorted, we've got to see loads of people saved, I've got to do that, I've got to, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, we've got to grow this thing, I've got to get better at this, we've got to get it better. And you end up running around, chasing your tail in a sense of in this kind of almost blind panic. this is what we've got to do. I've chosen, I've chosen, I'm chosen. What am I? And we miss fundamentally what it actually says here is we're to bear fruit, not produce fruit. There's a subtle difference in what's going on. You think about an apple tree or a pear tree, or run out of trees that produce fruit. Banana trees, I don't know. Any other mangoes? Do they grow on a tree? I don't know. Mango trees? What? What? Nothing. Some other kind of tree. (laughs) That nothing tree. Whatever kind of tree it is, how do they? F- How do they produce fruit? They just bear it. It comes forth from what they are. There's no kind of thing of, oh, I'm an I've got to produce, I've got to produce, a panic on and do something. No, it just naturally is an overflow of having good, healthy roots. There's an overflow of producing. It says in Proverbs 12, 12, the root of the righteous bears much fruit. You're planted in streams of living water. That's the picture the psalmist says. You're planted in streams of living water. Uh, the, the root of the righteous bears much fruit. What comes out then? It's not as driven. I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, it's it's I've got to sort it. It's a out of the overflow of who I am, out of the overflow of my very identity, I will bear fruit. My responsibility then is to stay connected in this passage in John 15 to the vine. It's to stay, if you're looking at Psalm 1, it's to stay rooted in streams of living water. My responsibility is to stay connected to him, recognizing that he brings forth the fruit as we abide in him. That's our responsibility individually. So what about our responsibility corporately? If you've got your Bibles, flick back into the Old Testament, Psalm 127. I just want to spend a few moments looking for us here in this venue In Psalm 127, the first two verses, this is a psalm of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. This psalm was written by Solomon, who knew a thing or two about building. And building of the house is this major theme that we see right throughout Old Testament and and into the New Testament. And the picture of the Old Testament is the house of God is this physical place, the actual physical building, the the dwelling place of God, the temple. It's it's why it was a problem if it got knocked down, because it needed to be rebuilt, because this is the physical place of of God, the dwelling place of God. And then we roll into the New Testament, and the picture of the house has changed. It's no longer a physical building, it's a people, and what's being built in New Testament and where we are now is a people, a community, a family, the people of God. It's what we call the church, a church we know this. It's not a building. It's not a place we go to. It's a people that we are added to who we are. And that's what we're doing here. That's why we're here this afternoon. It's why we're in this slightly odd room. It's why we're doing what we're doing in this place, because we're about making more disciples, about adding more people into the family, about seeing the house of the Lord being built. So, first question we've got to ask ourselves when we read this little passage Is this God doing this or are we trying to do it ourselves? Because if it's not the Lord, if it's not Him building his house, if it's not Him doing the, the growing and the adding and the Multiplying, then we're told by the Psalmist it's all in vain. It's all empty. It's all ultimately pointless. As I said, this is written by Solomon, who, who knew a thing or two about building stuff. He knew about building buildings. He knew all about that. And he doesn't say here that you can't build without the Lord. He just says, in the end, it's pointless. It's all in vain. It's all ultimately a waste of time. Ultimately, we're not actually going to get anywhere. You might be able to do something, but it's not actually going to be worthwhile at the end of the day. You see, this is the reality. It is entirely possible to build, and sadly, even build Church. And organizations and stuff independent of God. It's entirely possible. We're not told that it's impossible, you can't do it. No, it's entirely possible that you can build independent of God without him. Even actually instead of him. A little bit like, God, we know what it says in your word, but that was written way too long ago. We live in this culture. We need to actually change this and change that. That stuff just ain't going to wash now with our modern world of the way everyone thinks and does stuff. So actually, I know you've got some good ideas, but they're a little bit dated now. And so we're going to build like this, because if you say this, and if you do this, and you do it like this, wow, crowds come, and that's what we're about, right? More people next year than there are this year. So as long as we've got more people coming through the door, it doesn't really matter what we're saying or what we're doing, because it's people, people, people. That counts. Look at us grow great. We can get a crowd. I mean, we could offer to take, we could take an offering every single week and say a thousand pounds if you just come through. Every single week, we'll just keep doing it. More people we get, the more money we generate, the more, it's like a pyramid scheme of church building. What an idea. Except that's not what it's about, is it? It's not just about bums on seats getting more people. It's not, hey God, we kind of know what we're doing. Thanks for your help, bro. If you could just help us every now and again, you know, like with a little bit of a blessing, but generally stay out of it. 'Cause that stuff that Hannah started us off with, when you gather together each one's got this, that. that's a little bit messy. It'd be easier if we knew exactly what songs we were gonna sing and, and do it just like this and just so and and to be honest with you, the idea of actually having to gather together, why don't we just stay at home and, and, and just tell each other we went to church? Like it's kinda of that sort like you could do all sorts of stuff, but no 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 no. So in the end it's all vain. Think about the old testament, right? Tower of Babel. Story of the Tower of Babel. They attempted to build without the Lord. They built something big. But they were doing it for their own glory, they were doing it for their own selves. And it didn't work out so well, because in the end it never does. Genesis 11, I just, go go home and read Genesis 11, right, and just think how amusing this is. It says, they're building this tower, like, we're going to be really high, it's going to be really big and really impressive. And it just says, the Lord came down to inquire what they were doing. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? You small little people down there thinking you can build something of substance and grand. And it comes in, it said they're totally independent of God, and then in verse 8 of Genesis 11 it says the Lord dispersed them from where they were over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. The building came to an end. They're trying to do it themselves independent of God we know best we'll do it like this for our glory for our namesake for our fame look at us thank you good idea you've done so well so far Genesis 1 to 10 but we'll take it from here God for all of history thank you very much. He says, he came down, what are you doing? Disperse them and the building got left off. Of course it did, because it was all vain and pointless and it didn't work out in the end. You see, when it comes to building New Testament church, it's not that you can't appear to be doing it. You see, it's entirely possible to build a whole church, a ministry, a community, a small group, an organisation, whatever, relying entirely on our own gifts, our own personality, our own skills, our own talents, our own good ideas. And you think, surely not. There's no way that that's possible. Well, read Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verses 21, I'm not sure if it's on the screen, to 23. Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then probably the scariest verse in the New Testament and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness whoa 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 hang on a minute we did all this cool stuff Right, we prophesy. we, we did mighty works. In... I never knew you. Wow. Like these people are doing some impressive stuff. It looks good. They have all the marks of the successful ministry. They are performing miracles, driving out demons, prophesying. They look the part. We would say, look at them, the real deal. What a ministry, that's amazing. Like, get to their conference, buy their books because they're doing it. They're building this big thing. There's just one thing terribly, terribly wrong. Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, in the end, building independently from God, not relying upon him, whether in our own individual lives, walks, ministries, small group leading, whatever it is, certainly as a church, not relying on him, doing it our own way, not doing it the way he says, cutting the corners because they get to, well, that's quicker growth. We'll just disciple thing. No, no, no. Just just get converts." In the end, it's all vain. It's all pointless. It's all worthless. Jesus doesn't say we can't do things. He doesn't say we can't lead things. He doesn't say we can't even build a church without them. Evidently we can, because these people did. What he says is that in the end, these things are all worthless unless what we are doing flows out of a dependent relationship with God himself. Unless he builds the house, it's all in vain. And when we try and do it all, and we try and build it, it's all short-sighted anyway. Because when it's on us, we see here in this psalm, it leads to restlessness, and it leads to anxiety, and it leads to worry. Because if you think it's all on you, and if actually, and you think you know it's all on you, I've got to make this happen. I've got to do that. If we are trying to build this, if we're trying to generate the ideas and the momentum and all that, if we're trying to build it all ourselves, dependent, independent from God, and relying on our own ability, wow, it leads to anxiety. Can I carry on this? we even able to do this? Am I able to carry on? Is this sustainable? Can we? And it leads to panic. Like literally panic. Like how do we keep this thing going? What are we going to do with this? I don't know that. This, this nothing seems to be going so well. And we end up rushing around. It's a bit like we're trying to spin plates. Put one on, you know that. I never got understood why they were magicians. I don't even know if they were. But I was a kid, went to these things where they, it, a skill to spin a plate. And you spin that one, and then that one, and then that one, and then, and then basically some guy was running up and down. I think it was entertainment before the internet was invented. It was that kind of thing of running around and saying, oh, is it going to, and that's what we end up doing, trying to build it on our own. Spin this plate, we've got to get this going. This can, that person, he's sorting out, running down here, sorting that out, and then we got to sort, kids, and what are we going to do with this? And spin that plate, and it's, oh, and you, and it all drops at some point. And it leads us to cause anxiety, we don't sleep, we worry, we're restless, because we're toiling, because we ain't doing what we should be doing. And ultimately, at a bigger level, it's fruitless anyway, it's totally pointless, I mean, we can't do this stuff anyway, how many people can you save? Like, like, how many people have you saved? Like, straight up, but how many people have you rescued from eternal damnation yourself? Not like Jesus doing it and you, you, him using you to share the gospel. Like you, because mine is a big fat zero, and I'm reasonably proud of that. How many people have you healed? That's a healed, not an healed, or delivered, or encountered in such a way beyond a hug or changed from the inside out. You can't do it anyway. We need God. And sadly, we often invest so much time and energy in doing things for God when what we need to realize is and recognize is that He is the builder and if we would only submit our lives to Him and focus our energies on being with Him, He will build the house. How do you bear fruit? By ensuring you have real good roots, by ensuring that you stay connected to the vine, and the fruit comes. Our problem is we live in a microwave culture, not a farming one, and so we expect everything to be instant. Hey, well, fruit, this is it. Nothing's happening. Can't be working then. Think of a farming thing. It takes months if not years to produce something of actual genuine substance think of a mighty oak tree how many years oh well look at that thing that's rubbish well because it's been there for about five minutes come back in 500 years and see how big this thing is going to be and we live in a culture of self-dependency as well i do it myself self-effort how many books are in the self-help guide in the bookshop i mean just tons this 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 grow and we've got that bombarding upon us and we think Nothing seems to be happening much. Oh, well, give up. Or oh, I've got to get better. Actually, the picture the Bible paints is we abide in Him. We ensure and cultivate healthy roots, and f- fruit is born. It says, and I think in the King James Version, it brings forth fruit. That's what happens, it just naturally brings forth fruit. And here's what it works when we build the church. See, there is another way to build. That's not independent of God, it's completely dependent on God. And the good news is that God is building his house. He is building his church and he is watching over it, which gives us such confidence that it will ultimately, it will succeed and it ultimately will stand. In 2 Samuel 7, uh, David goes to the Lord and he basically says, I want to build you a house. And the Lord says to David, you ain't going to build me a house. I'll build you a house. And what David's kind of meaning, what he wants to say is, I'm going to build you a temple. And the Lord says, no, David, you're not going to build me a house, a temple. I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty, a family that will continue to reign on the throne forevermore. See, God is about a people being built. He always has been. And it's the picture that we see in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. It says, So then, describing us, this is us, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. In his... Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the house that God is building. He's building us. We can't bring together strangers and aliens and make them citizens and saints. But he can and he does. This is the house that he's building. This is 1 Peter 2, 5. Building together like living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is what we're doing, brothers and sisters. We're being built together, connected together into a spiritual house. As the people of God, we're being transformed into a holy people. This is the gospel. He's bringing dead things to life and bringing them together. He's bringing blind things and enabling them to be able to see so that they might see together. He's finding and going rescuing lost things and declaring them found so that they can go and find more lost things to declare them found and bring them into the fold. He's taking orphans who are isolated and living their lives by themselves, separated off, and making them sons and daughters, part of the family, heirs to the promise of God. He's taking that which is stained and dirty and bringing it and declaring it to be holy and righteous and he does it together we're not saved in isolation we're saved and added into a family and it is God 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 all the way through from beginning to end he's the one building the house and this is very 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 good news for us Hebrews 3 verse 1 says therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling consider Jesus Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. He's the one who is the builder of all things. He, we are his house, and he is faithful. And this gives us such confidence because he, back to Ephesians 2, he's the cornerstone on which we're built. I don't know much about buildings, but I know there's like one bit in the ground that the rest of it all is built, built on, I think. But that's the way the picture. It's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He's the one who the rest of it is built upon. And if we're not built upon that, then, well, it's all going to crumble anyway. And he's also the master builder, building over it. He is the one who's faithful over it. He's building his church, tells Matthew, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the builder. And he's watching over it as well. What amazing truth this is. God is watching over his house. Now, what's his house? His house is the church. Who's the church? You and I, which means God is watching over our corporate life, but over our individual life as well. Every single detail, every single moment, every single situation. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. Other versions say the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He watches over over you and he's watching over your life and the life of this church every single detail and that is such good news because he is not caught out he is not taken by surprise things did not just sitting, well that got out of control I have no idea how that happened and he has a wobble and a panic and runs away no he's involved and he's building it and he's watching over it and he does not slumber and he does not sleep which means I can <laughs> you see like now, literally. (laughs) You see, God could have made it. He created everything, right? He could have ordained it. He could have made it that humans never needed to sleep. That's how he could have worked it out. There would be a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week party people. They can just keep going and going and going and going because they don't need sleep because I've created it like this. But he didn't. He never sleeps. He keeps everything going. Which means... I don't have to try and keep everything going because it's not all on me. See, God intended for us to sleep as a reminder that you're not God. And it's an act of faith every time my head hits the pillow that everything will still be there in the morning when I wake up. And it's an act of faith every time I hit the pillow that actually, it's not all on me to build this thing and build my life and build this church and do that and produce fruit. And, bu- and actually, the most fruitful thing that you or I can do most nights, go to sleep and sleep properly and not worry about what tomorrow will bring until we wake up in the morning. And God just wants to remind us. That's why he makes us sleep. That you are not God. And he is. And he's in charge. And he's sovereign. And I'm not. And that's a very good thing. He's building his house. He's watching over his house. It's on him. So how do we respond then? I mean, he's building it, so I can just go home. Just finish now, I'll just literally walk out, it'll be fine. Like, forget the kids, they'll take care of themselves. Like, PA guys, there, yeah, thanks. Don't worry about it, just not need to turn up any weeks. And it'll all just take care of itself. We can just have this kind of, this, this, this passivity that can just go in. Wow, he's building it. Well, I'm I'm not needed. They won't come every week because it doesn't really matter. Hmm. That's not it at all. He chose you, me, to bear fruits. He chose you to partake in this big story. He chose you to play your part in seeing the kingdom of God advance and the church be built and his his name be made famous. And so there are two options for us. We can either try and build independent, our entire lives, independent of God or completely dependent upon God. One involves pride, another involves humility. That's why we try and build ourselves often because we're pride. We're full of pride. You think, I can do this, I can make this, I will take control of this. I'm a bloke, I do this all the time. Problem in my house, I ain't getting somebody else to do it. I will do it myself, thank you very much. And that just goes wrong, like again and again and again. And I still haven't learned the lesson, so no doubt a whole bunch of other things will go wrong until I finally do. When I have enough humility to go, yeah, Han, you're right, I'll listen to you, we'll get a plumber, things work really quite quickly. It's amazing, Who, what sort of idiot would have no shower for six months while they bothered, just think, I'll do it myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's life we can build independent of God or dependent upon him and the first building independent of him is a, is a labour but it's a labour in vain and the second is a labour that is never in vain so how do we do labour? we give ourselves to this we devote ourselves to this we devote ourselves to, to abiding in him and growing in him individually but we give ourselves to it corporately and we do labour Paul says I worked harder than anyone we work hard at it, but we're laboring not in vain, but in different things. We're, first of all, we're laboring in prayer. We're laboring in prayer in this, bringing it before God. You're sovereign, you're building, you're watching over it. Continue to make your name famous in this place. Colossian, Paul in Colossians 4 says continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, he says, he's providing to the church in Colossae, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we labor in prayer, steadfastly, watchful, thanksgiving, saying, God, open a door for us. Bust something out in this community that actually reveals the glory of God. Would you come and move? Would you come and save people? Would you come and help me, grow me in my speech and in my wisdom and boldness and courage and all of those kind of things? We labor in prayer because because we need to grow in faith. And so we're praying, God, grow me in faith. I believe you're building. I believe you're watching over. Now help me in my unbelief in those moments where I think it's on me. And we're praying, and we're laboring in it, and a good measure for us is, what are we asking for? What are we asking for? Lord, we need you. We need your presence. We need you to save people. We need your Holy Spirit. We need you to move. I need you to move in my life. I need you to move in this church. I need you to move in this community because if you don't, it's all a waste of time. But if you do, wow, everything changes. So we labor in prayer. second thing we labor in is passion. Because he's building his church and because he's sovereign, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords, it will succeed. Our labor is never in vain. I, therefore, am passionate about seeing his glory come, his kingdom advance, his name be made famous. I'm giving myself to this 100%, all of my energy, all of my effort, all of my time, all of my resources for his glory. Because in the end, nothing else really matters. What's the one thing that you're doing right now in your life that will still matter in 10,000 years' time? Because it ain't half the stuff we spend most of our life chasing and worrying about and being anxious about. That ain't going to matter at all in 10,000 years' time. But the glory of the Lord will resound for all eternity. So I'm devoted now for the thing that will still matter in 10,000 years' time. I'm passionate about it. I give myself to it. And I labor in purpose as well. See, we should be really very bold about what we're doing here. He chose you to bring forth fruit. And so there's an implicit promise there. He will bring forth fruit in you. I love that. It gives me such confidence. Jesus even prayed for it in uh, John 17, verse 18, where he said, As you, talking to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. He's praying for us to be fruitful. Wow. He sat at the right hand of the Father, interceding, saying, God, make them fruitful. He's praying for me. that will be fruitful. That gives me such confidence and it gives me boldness in building the church, advancing the kingdom, knowing that his promise, his word is that it shall come to pass. And so all of our going, all of the great commission, all of the Genesis 1, right at the beginning, go and multiply. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Acts one go and be my witnesses. All of that is empowered and sustained by this promise. I am building my church. I will be with you, and all authority has been given in heaven and earth, so go. And so when Jesus says those things, wow, we believe him. And so I labor, I labor and I rest. And I commit my life to seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. And I use the means that God has ordained without anxiety and worry and stress and all the rest of it. And I commit to the outcome of the Lord and I say, Lord, have your way And I join with Moses in Psalm 90, verse 17, and say, let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Lord, establish the work of your hands.